Act One of the Times by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Persons of the Play Percy Edgerton Bombas, M.P. Read by Adrian Stevens. Mrs. Edgerton Bombas, read by Sonia. Howard, their son. Read by Dale Burgess. Barrel, their daughter. Read by the Story Girl. Countess of Ripstow. Read by T.J. Burns. Denham, Viscount Lurgershall, her son. Read by Thomas Peter. The Honorable Montague Trimble. Read by Todd. Timothy McShane, M.P read by alan mapstone mrs hooley read by cleaner woodburn honoria her daughter read by linda olsen Feitak. miss cazalet read by jen broda lucy tuck read by annie mars chelf read by son of the exiles stage directions read by larry wilson the times act one the scene represents a richly decorated and sumptuously furnished room in the london house of mr edgerton bompas m p it is prettily divided by three arches resting on elegant pillars and wealth and luxury are evident in all the appointments of the room which looks bright and cheerful in the afternoon light of early summer the door opens and jelf a man-servant in livery introduces lady ripstow an aristocratic-looking woman of about fifty, and her son Denham Lord Lurgershall, a young man of twenty-seven, with a determined manner. <clears throat> Lady Ripstow and Lord Lurgershall. I am aware, my lord. I think Mrs. Edgerton Bumpus will see me. I am sure she will, my lady, if she's at home she's not at home this afternoon i know but she may be indoors i'll ask codrington my lady codrington my mistress's maid woman my lady he goes out my mistress's maid's woman <laughs> the wives of drapers have their comforts denham my dear mother is not mr bumpus a draper mr edgerton bumpus edgerton mr edgerton bumpus is a draper in a large sense <laughs> he has a dozen shops all in a row you mean <laughs> fourteen as a matter of fact uh, surely that makes him fourteen times a draper at any rate beryl is not a draper she is a draper's daughter if she becomes your wife she will still be a draper's daughter if children are born to you they will be a draper's daughter's children they will be amiable and beautiful like beryl <sighs> but not perfectly patrician like yourself to call an illustration from the drapery business pray mother beryl is cotton you are silk each material in itself is uh, estimable 
but cotton and silk beget satinette did you see your father this morning yes in bed will he countenance your engagement by calling here he will think it over was he very distressed at your account of beryl's parents acutely i admit of course you made him aware that uh, mr bompas sits for the northern division of st swithin's of course that afforded him no relief not perceptibly you emphasized on the conservative side of the house yes but my father's theory is that a common man's profession of conservative principles is merely a device to rub shoulders with superior people <sighs> theodore is penetrating and he anticipates that every conservative politician who has any respect for himself will soon be driven to extreme radicalism to find decent companionship <sighs> your father will never call here denham so be it mother and you are determined to make beryl an offer of marriage oh quite beryl a sweet unaffected girl of about twenty enters the room attended by jelf and greets lady ripstow and denham with a pleasant frankness of manner beryl addressing lady ripstow victor the hairdresser has been washing mamma's head would you like to come upstairs if i may beryl to denham excuse me lady ripstow quietly to beryl uh wishes to talk to you i know let the servant show me the way jelf lady ripstow goes from the room with jelf in attendance leaving beryl and denham together i have been answering invitations from mamma look what a wearisome affair is a season isn't it a season i don't mean either of the four seasons sent by heaven i mean the fifth made by man the one season honoured by a capital letter and called the season oh. i know you care very little for gaiety and the gaiety of climbing a flight of stairs to clutch at a haggard hostess on the landing do sit we both have to tread a great many stairs to-night i expect are you going to lady orleans by any chance no we don't know her i mean of course she doesn't know us this is our lot reading from a tablet the horace bennetts the stratfields mrs peter cathews music at the verulam club the spratt thompsons <laughs> lighter than i thought shall we pass you on any of those stairs i shall be at mrs cathews about eleven a trifle early for us early hmm. we used to go very early to such places and stay right through but now that papa has got on we arrive late everywhere and murmur an apology <laughs> oh, don't laugh if you realized as i do the sham the falseness of this sort of thing you wouldn't you couldn't laugh you'd cry and one's life seems to be made up of parade and pretension and sometimes i feel it is more than i can <sighs> 
Forgive my complaining to you. You forget I am as hemmed in as yourself, bound by conventionalism, fettered by fashion. You could revolt. I might rush away to shoot big game in America. That would not be declaring independence of character. That would be escaping from declaring it. Are you sure you have an independent character to declare? At least I desire to behave as an individual. At present I am a phonograph rolled up in a coat. I don't aspire to great things, but I wish to speak of great things with gratitude, and of mean things with indignation. It is good of you even to talk like this. And mind, if you ever break away, I'll pray for an adventurer. You may begin today, then. Why? I am just about to break away. What are you going to do? Entreat to be allowed to pay my addresses to you. Oh. Now you guess the object of my mother's visit this afternoon. We... we are in different worlds. Let us come out of our little worlds and meet each other. But I... I am nothing. I have watched you. I know you. You are an individual. Consent to marry me, and you confer upon me the gift of individuality. Answer me. Lord Lagashaw. Denham holding out his hand. My dear Beryl. Beryl laying her hand in his. Denham. Percy Edgerton Bombus, a florid, good-humoured looking man of about fifty, with an air of great prosperity, but with an uneasy, assertive manner, enters the room together with the Honourable Montague Trimble, a pleasant-looking, bland little man, of uncertain age, scrupulously trimmed and tailored. Clara, here's Monty. Demonstratively. Hello, Lurgashal. Delighted to see you. Denham shakes hands with Bompus and exchanges nods with Trimble. How are you, Trimble? How are you, my dear L? Bompus to Denham. I thought my wife was here, but Barry will give you a cup of tea. We're always into friends like you, if we are in. But, Lord bless you, when we're not entertaining, we live in other people's houses. They won't let us alone. Taking up cards of invitation from the table. I'll be bound these are invites. What did I say? Look, here, here they come. Mrs. Bulmersh, nice woman, la Comtesse de Favoreau. A countess French, but still. Mrs. Claude Cox, oh, stockbrokers, that's nothing. Here, Lady Prestwick, what do you think of that? Lady Prestwick at home, Grosvenor Gate. Do you go there, eh? Do you go there? Lady Prestwick is my aunt. Aunt, is she? Ah, then we shall meet you. Laying his hand on Denham's shoulder. It's nice for us all to be in the same set. Music, ten o'clock. I don't suppose we shall be there for more than a minute, too many of these things. Reading the card to himself. Lady Prestwick, at home, Grosvenor Gate. Lady Prestwick. Denham quietly to Bumpus. My mother is upstairs. Lady Ripstow? With my wife? Ought I to go up? Ought I to go up? No, no, don't trouble. The question will be referred to you by and by. What question? Whether you will sanction an engagement between Beryl and myself. 
You? You in love with Upberry? Yes. You? You? Sh shall I tell her? Sh shall I tell her? Shh, please. I've done that myself. Bumpus cannot speak from excitement, but he grasps Denham's hand as Mrs. Edgerton Bumpus, a bright, excitable, good-looking woman of forty, enters with Lady Ripstow. Mrs. Bumpus breathlessly to Denham. Have you asked her? Yes. Is it all right? Beryl has been good enough not to discourage me. Oh, my dear boy, I, I can't help it. She kisses him. Denham smiling. Thank you. He joins his mother, Beryl, and Trimble, who are chatting together in a group. Bompus trembling with excitement to Mrs. Bompus. Calm yourself. Calm yourself. Don't let them think we're honoured. Oh, Percy. Quiet, Clara. Tell Trimble to spread it about. She joins the rest. Bompus to himself. I'll drop a line to the morning post. The Times doesn't put things in when I send them. Picking up a card of invitation. Mrs. Claude Cox at home. Wish she may get us. He tears up the card and throws it into the waste paper basket. Lady Ripstow approaches the table at which Bompus has sat down to write. Bompus writing. Mr. Percy Edgerton Bombas presents his compliments to the editor of the Morning Post. Seeing Lady Ripstow. Hey, I beg your pardon? It's Lady Ripstow, isn't it? Shaking hands with her heartily. How's Lord Ripstow? He and I will see more of each other now, I dare say. Have you met Lord Ripstow? Well, no, that is, I may have met him and passed him. Clara, we must fix a night for a little family dinner. No outsiders, just the family. Myself, Clara, Beryl, Howard, our boy, you know. Howard will run up from Oxford. That's four Edgerton Bombasses. One Denham is five. Two Ripstows are seven. Ah, uh, I... I think we will defer any arrangement of this kind till Lord Ripstow has called. Of course, Percy. And now, if you will allow me... What was I going to say? Oh, this is a big thing for Denham's future. I... I trust so. A father in the House of Commons, as well as one in the Lords, both fathers of the same way of thinking too, both hard and fast unionists, both staunch conservatives, the only political faith for an English gentleman. Percy. Bombus to Lady Ripstow. Don't you see? As I've only one boy, and a good clever boy he is, thank God, I can keep an eye on your chick as well as my own. Uh, thank you. I... I have to call in Merworth Square. I'm coming back for Lurgashall. She passes Bompus and speaks a word to Mrs. Bompus. Bompus resuming his seat in writing. And begs to inform him that a marriage has been arranged. Lady Ripstow leaves the room. Take Lady Ripstow downstairs. What are you thinking about? Bumpus rising. Eh? He runs out after Lady Ripstow. Trimble, leaving Beryl and Denham together, advances effusively to Mrs. Bumpus. Dear Mrs. E.B. 
Oh, Monty. You are very proud, hmm? Yes, I am proud. Now, now what will my old schoolfellow Emily Spread Thompson have to say? Oh, Monty, nothing on earth shall prevent my going to church next Sunday morning. Let me see. I think I... Hmm. Yes, you brought him to my third reception last season. Bless you. Beryl and Denham go from the room together. Trimble mournfully. Ah. What are you so glum about? Why, my dear Mrs. E.B., I suppose I experience that mixed sensation of pain and pleasure which the nurse feels when the infant she has taught to toddle wriggles its little fist out of her hand and scampers off unassisted. You mean that now Barry is to make this tremendous marriage, we shall be able to run alone in society? I am unselfish enough to hope so, dear Mrs. E.B. But we're not likely to forget your little services, Monty. No, no. You're too amiable for that. But I anticipate that your poor friend will not be quite so, so indispensable in the future, hmm? Perhaps not in the sense you mean. In point of fact, dear Mrs. E.B., the devoted nurse forfeits her place and her perquisites, and the thriftless, improvident old woman, if I may so allude to myself, deuced well can't afford it. Nonsense! Doesn't your brother, doesn't Lord Morfitt do something for you? Dear Morfitt pays the allowance I am compelled to make my wife, that's all. But as for the necessaries of life, I pledge you my word, there was a moment last September when the question of my giving up my little box in Scotland was really mooted. However, I was fortunate enough to get you and E.B. some pleasant introductions at Homburg, and the dear liberal fellow... Yes, yes, never mind that. But now... Shh, I'll tell Percy to be always very kind to you. Dear soul! Oh, I can't sit still, Monty. She moves restlessly about the room. I came here this afternoon to give you what I hoped would prove a piece of good news. There is no more good news in the world. No, not now. Well, what is it? The Maharaja of Shikapur has at last fixed a night to dine here. What? You've got him? After shocking difficulties. Oh, bless you! Bless you, dear man. Now, now, Emily Spratt Thompson, what will you have to say? Bumpus returns. Percy, that nigger has consented to dine with us. The Maharaja? Yes. No, has he? When? The twentieth. Ours is the first private house this great Indian potentate will have dined at. Mm, certainly. <laughs> triumph led by some association of ideas he has hitherto persisted in going every night to the empire percy 
it must be a brilliant occasion by jove yes munty command me dear e b now whom will you have to greet the great man your friends 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 you see one can always have friends but you want to let your friends see you've got the maharaja no 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 they'll read about it in the papers i should like the best people in london the best we can get clara we will make this the dinner to which we ask the ripstows lord and lady ripstow we'll show them hey we'll let them see shall we but you told lady ripstow that their dinner was to be a family dinner yes but i've been thinking they might expect to meet my relations i've already roughed out a few suggestions good monty is so useful trimble consulting his memoranda now there's old lord hipgrave lord hipgrave lord hipgrave phew i can get him i shall be happy to welcome lord hipgrave to my house he's not in demand just now and will eat a good dinner anywhere but he's still a great name dear mrs e b tremendous i feel bound to tell you that he feeds in rather a coarse way oh, disgusting Shh, he's a great name trimble reading from his notes and he begs that oh here it is he begs that a dinner may not be held to constitute acquaintanceship infernal impudence brutes that dine at my table however he's a great name well sir charles farmerlow will come with algy fitzbray excellent just for fun is the way they put it cads they are mere boys you know and never open their lips then there's charlie spreckley he will whip the thing up by jove rather oh he tells all these inimitable stories they're in everybody's mouth well everybody's inimitable stories are in his mouth same thing he's the best raconteur in society bompus to mrs bompus knew we should get him some day but i ought to let you know dear e b that spreckley asks five and twenty guineas what from every house he goes to from some houses he goes to it is kept absolutely quiet of course if such a thing got about he might as well go on the stage at once five and twenty yes and you don't get his new stories for that pay him thirty this must be a perfect dinner now the women that's always a little difficulty hm you wouldn't care for a cheerful but perfectly ladylike actress my dear monty i beg pardon really i would much rather ask my own personal friends have you your visiting list handy she gives him a book from the table i dare say there are some good people here you don't know i'll run through it in the next room it may give my brain a fillip he goes out 
Jelf enters. Carriage is at the door, sir. Jelf withdraws. Going down to the house, Percy? Yes, dear. They sit cosily together, and she arranges a flower in his buttonhole. May I drive you anywhere? No, thanks. I've asked Miss Cazalet to pop in. Kate Cazalet, the novelist? Yes, I hear she's become the proprietors of a struggling little daily newspaper, The Morning Message. Never heard of it. Won't live. A woman, too. Isn't it ridiculous? Still, one may get one's gowns decently described. So I thought a cup of tea in a friendly, informal way. Very good-natured of you, I'm sure. Give her my best wishes. Mrs. Bompas laying her hand upon his arm as he is going. Percy, dear, are they beginning to make you feel more at home in the house? Well... I wonder, darling, if your manner strikes them as being a little too... a little too pushing? I shouldn't be surprised, but you see it's the only manner I've got. I know, dear, I know. And it comes natural to me. And if I don't push, Clara, I feel somehow that I'm not in it. But you are in it, Percy. We're wealthy, with a townhouse and a country one, with horses, carriages, servants, and twice as much of everything as we need. You should remind yourself of this constantly. I do, I do, every minute of the day. I believe I'm sensitive, Clara. About what? Perhaps it's the business. The business will soon be a company. Bompasses Limited. And you, the chairman. Ah, but I've walked the shop a good deal in my time. And it's the same with a man that's been to sea. That tells its own tale. The other night I was bustling across the members' lobby, in my own energetic way, you know, and I heard a voice near me saying, what price blankets infamous of course it proceeded from an irish member but still not mr mcshane again yes that little beast mcshane and then ingratitude hurts me i've been in the house a couple of months and what's the one question on which my opinion has been sought the one point i've been consulted upon yes yes you've told me the quality of the table linen in the dining-room ha however wait wait bless you well good-bye old lady mrs bompas putting her arms around his neck good-bye poor old man brushing a tear away after all we're very lucky aren't we rather and deserve to be mrs bompas sits at the table humming a song happily Oh, I want my copy of the labor bill. It's in the library. Jelf enters quietly and approaches Bompas. They speak together, unheard by Mrs. Bompas. Sir. What is it? Jelf looking towards Mrs. Bompas. Hush, please, sir. Mr. Howard's come home. Mr. Howard? I'm afraid everything's not quite right, sir. He cried when he saw me where is he in the library sir with some ladies 
with some out of the way. Bumpus goes out hurriedly, followed by Jelf. Beryl and Denham come into the room. Well, darlings, Lord Lagershall asked me to show him Richmond's portrait of myself, Mamma. Bless her. And did you notice Holt's picture of Mr. Edgerton Bumpus in the dining room? Oh, yes. Doesn't it speak? We intend bequeathing it to the Carlton Club. The door opens. Jelf announcing. Miss Cazalet, Miss Tuck. Jelf shows in Miss Cazalet, a vivacious, handsome, well-preserved and richly attired woman of about seven-and-thirty and lucy a pale sad-looking girl wearing spectacles and almost shabbily dressed mrs bompas kissing miss cazalet so good of you to come what a charming house you have the barrel how are you dear do you know lord lurgishall by his likeness to his papa not otherwise denham bows formally Lucy, dear. To Mrs. Bompas. I so want to introduce my niece, Lucy Tuck. Mrs. Bompas to Lucy. How do you do? Poor Lucy has broken down woefully at Noonham. Her feminine intellect has drawn the line at Latin prose and left her rubbing menthol into her brows from morning till night. Dear child. Oh, Mamma. Miss Cazalet to Beryl. You girls are nearly of the same age. Do tell her there is something in the world besides a first class in the classical tripos. Beryl to Lucy. And have you a bad head this afternoon? Oh, yes. When did it come on? The year before last. The year before last? It isn't of so much consequence now I've left Newenham. Only... They say it makes me appear unsociable. Miss Cazalet to Mrs. Bompas, who has been chatting with her apart. A thousand congratulations! May I announce it in my paper? Do. Any date fixed? Not yet. By the way, I hope you all know that anybody who buys a copy of the morning message on or after Monday is bestowing a penny upon a hard-working, deserving woman. The morning message. Ever heard of it? I must confess, I... Ah, oh, I thought not. Jelf enters, carrying a silver tray with tea things. Beryl pours out tea. Poor little journal. It's only six months old and very weak like a rickety baby. I'm going to nurse it into vitality. To Denham. Isn't it bold, eh? Extremely. You mean brazen. Catching Beryl's eye. Two lumps, please, dear, and cream. You must be careful not to lose your money. Oh, that's all right. A dear good friend in the city who believes in me has bought the paper for that. Snapping her fingers. And has given it to me as, as a birthday present. Denham hands Miss Cazalet a cup of tea. She declines cake. No, thanks. I'm too full of the morning message to eat. Excuse my coarseness. Hmm. My city friend furnishes the money article, naturally. Denham to himself. 
I'll be bound he does. I do society, the opera and the play, and perhaps Ascot and Cows. Don't overtax yourself, dear. Oh, of course I have a man editor, and all sorts of nice things of that kind about me, to save me the fag, you know. Mrs. Bumpus taking tea. Thanks. And you think a woman really possesses the authority? Authority? Why, the staff already kissed the ground I walk on. At 18 Boswell Court, second floor, office of the M.M. I am a queen, my dears, inky but absolute. It's glorious. And so on Monday. And every morning you'll each buy the message, please. My message? To each and all. Will you? Will you, will you? Certainly. 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 Thanks awfully. Three pence. Quietly to Mrs. Bumpus. Oh, may I speak to you, dear? Quietly. Miss Cazalet to Lucy. Lucy, I want you to tell dear Mrs. Edgerton Bumpus. Come here. Miss Cazalet and Lucy talk confidentially with Mrs. Bumpus. Beryl to Denham, handing his tea. What is your impression of Miss Cazalet? Denham sipping his tea. Sweet. Really? The tea. Who is she? I don't think we know her very well. She is one of Sir George Cazalet's many beautiful daughters. Quite a lady, then. He was quite a gentleman. What has been her career? After poor old Sir George's death, she wrote realistic novels until... Until? Until realism was exhausted, Moody alienated, and Smith shocked. Why this journalistic craze? Uh, morphia, brandy, or ink. All uneradicable habits in a woman. I see you don't like her. Well, I'd rather you did not. Good gracious, it has just struck me. Suppose my mother finds her here. It can't be helped. What do you mean? It's an absurd old story, Beryl. May I confide it to you? This lady was once included in a country house party with my mother and father. It pleased my dear mother, who is a woman, to be ridiculously jealous. Of Miss Cazalet? The affair was perfectly foundationless, but my father, as an assertion of his independence, thought proper when he returned to town to call. On Miss Cazalet? Yes. Ever since then my mother has hated... Not your father? No, Miss Cazalet. Hark! Is that Lady Ripstow's carriage? Beryl and Denham look out of window. Mrs. Bompus to Miss Cazalet. I declare it's quite sweet of you. No, no. I regard my poor niece as a very precious responsibility. But she would be so much happier for some employment, not the newspaper. The mere mention of that makes her head fall in two. Something placid. Something mouse-like. Mrs. Bompus making notes. I'll consult Percy. You suggest? She would be a soothing companion for an old lady. 
there are so many old ladies too yes if they'd only admit it or as a tutor to some backward or delicate girl there you dear woman producing a notebook what gown do you wear at the opera on saturday night one of mrs weatherhill's the skirt is yellow silk brocaded with tiny pompadour bouquets of flowers round the hem three festooned flounces of pale yellow chiffon jelf shows in lady ripstow and withdraws has ligashall gone no miss cassett looks up from her notebook she and lady ripstow recognize each other mrs bompas to lady ripstow let me introduce my friend miss cassellet miss cassellet offering her hand i think we've met before haven't we lady ripstow regards her with a cold stare then turns to denham uh, denham miss cassellet to lucy she cut me that woman cut me oh if i ever have the chance bompas enters the room his face pale his hair disordered his manner much discomposed percy bompas whispering to her get rid of them get rid of them lady ripstow to mrs bompas good-bye to bompas good-bye good-bye lady ripstow remember me to lord ripstow i beg oh what was i going to say lady ripstow goes out with beryl denham shaking hands with mr and mrs bompas we shall meet to-night i hope somewhere or other somewhere or other denham goes out miss cazalet shaking hands with mrs bompas good-bye dear must you go so sorry mrs bompas rings the bell bompas shaking hands with miss cazalet good luck to your paper meets a want i was saying so this afternoon how well you're looking good-bye jelf appears and shows miss cazalet and lucy out what's the matter the matter mrs bompas shaking his arm percy trimble enters with a visiting list and some sheets of paper but remains in the background percy speak to me howard my boy there's something wrong you've got a letter from him percy he's not ill he's not worse married married my child married huh. married whom say what a nobody a nothing an ignorant ill-bred hussy no no a low trollop you don't show to your friends a slap that's not good enough for our kitchen mrs bompas throws herself upon the settee in hysterics as beryl enters oh dear oh dear oh dear oh dear oh dear oh dear mamma my dear mrs e b my boy my child my poor boy be quiet what has happened your brother has married somebody married <laughs> monty we can trust you beryl hold your tongue beryl to trimble a little water 
Trimble runs out. Beryl holds a vinaigrette to Mrs. Bompas's nose. Disgraced! Disgraced! Just as I was getting on. Be silent, Papa. Cards flowing in, flowing in from the best people. The Maharaja about to dine here, and Lurgashal, just as we are engaged to Lurgashal. It will fall through. Oh, don't. Look at Mamma. Look at Mamma. Look at me. Trimble re-enters hurriedly with a glass of water. Bompus stretches out his hand for it. Ah! No, no, it's for your wife. Oh, it will be broken off. Our engagement to Lurgishall broken off. Mrs. Bompus recovers and sits up faintly. Mrs. Bompus to Bompus. Tell me. It appears that Howard hasn't been near Oxford for more than a couple of months. But we've received letters from him written on his club paper. Asking for supplies. Ha! He managed that. Where has he been, Papa? At that little out-of-the-way hole in Wales. Llanothys? Llanichlith, where he and young Parker and Giltspur went to read, to read. I told you I didn't believe in reading parties. He'd much better have come home to learn his lessons. I'd have found time to hold the book for him. Well, the other fellows, Parker and Giltspur, returned to college. Without Howard? Yes, he made some excuse to remain behind. Why? 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 Papa, don't. My dear, E.B.? Why? So that he might marry, so that he might marry his landlady's daughter. His landlady's? The daughter of a common creature named Dooley or Hooley, an Irish widow. Irish? A pauper who seems to have got stuck in the mud at Llanichlich on her way from Ireland for want of funds. Funds? The dear lady's got another to keep now. Oh, no. No. Bumpus staring before him wildly. There will be one lodging house at Llanichlich where a young man is engaged to clean boots and windows. Papa. Really, E.B.? Apartments for families, pleasant view of the glorious vale of Llanichlith, door opened by my boy's wife's mother in curl papers, chambermaid, my daughter-in-law, only lodging house in the principality with a butler, my son and heir. Papa, you are exaggerating. If there is any truth at all in this horrid report... Truth! I am certain the reality is far less terrible than the story you tell us. Let us read it for ourselves. Show us the letter. The letter? Isn't there a letter? How do you know all this? Oh, yes, of course. I haven't mentioned... Howard Edgerton Bompas, a commonplace heavy young man of about one and twenty, looking very wretched and upset, enters quietly. Ma! Oh! Howard! I want to know what's going to be done. Mrs. Bompas kissing him. My boy. All right, my dear. I suppose you've heard all about it. Papa has told us. Hello, Monty. Uh, mm, uh, good afternoon. Here's a mess, Monty. You are right, dear young friend. Oh, Howard, 
whatever made you do a thing like this i don't know and you must know howard well i suppose a sort of lonely feeling came over me i don't know and then i got fogged over my constitutional law i don't know and then my head seemed to swell and then honoria honoria my wife oh honoria used to lay the cloth yes well honoria used to lay the cloth you said that darling well honoria used to lay the cloth and so i married her at the registry office not even in church i'm telling you at the little registry office at el bergeron i can't get about my chums never guessed i was in love and my two witnesses were a deaf gardener and a chalk laborer and i can hook it to australia or the cape and our fine friends won't be a bit the wiser and if people ask what's become of me you can say well i don't know beryl putting her arms around his neck australia oh let a fellow breathe you stifle him beryl tell me what is she like jolly pretty i think is she fairly educated howard what does that matter oh howard no she's not fairly educated i've tried to teach her how to spell a little and i found out i don't know how to spell myself so i'm not fairly educated and i suppose you call me a representative young english gentleman and and the mother mrs hooley is she nice i don't know you must know howard look here one would think i was being ragged by the warden i won't stand it recollect ah uh, uh, i'm a married man now then now then how dare you you see i'm upset if you want to quiz my new people and and disparage them they're sitting in the library here mamma percy why haven't i been told this i demand to see my son's wife take me downstairs instantly no no not another scene there with a couple of servants in the hall i'll no monty you're a stranger they won't howl so much with you get him out of the library and sneak him up here trimble goes out why didn't you bring your wife alone why the mother surely the mother would have kept for a week or two i didn't want to bring miss hooley do you think i'm a fool for shame howard why i hadn't the cash to bring anybody i was stony broke you can marry without extra expenses it's miss hooley who's brought me third class too like a cad i hear them ah quiet quiet is my hair all right burial yes mamma trimble returns come in pray come in honoria an ordinarily pretty irish girl of about eighteen rather showily dressed and mrs hooley her mother a genteel person of eight-and-thirty not very tidy in appearance enter timidly amid gloomy silence they both have been weeping i think mr and mrs egerton bompas 
would like you to sit down bumpus to honoria and mrs hooley be seated honoria and mrs hooley sit and continue sobbing at intervals mrs mrs hooley speaking with a slight brogue hooley kathleen hooley widow of captain patrick fagan hooley captain captain of the coast guard at kilbrain north of ireland he fell into the water fifteen years ago in time to be spared the trouble that's come upon us trouble that's come upon us you've brought it on us indeed i've not ma'am no sir i've not and though i'm a widow in trifling circumstances and haven't a living relative but my one child i wouldn't have sought to better myself by bringing distress upon gentlefolk not to wear a coronet upon my brow that's true ma'am it's been all the sly doing of me and the young gentleman why did i consent to it i was away from clen for a couple of days ma'am leaving the cottage in honoria's keeping while i took the cattle boat to kilbrain to inquire after a little furniture i had stored there years ago yeah bah bah and when i got home last night slightly prematurely i looked up at my cottage and saw but one light burning and that in my own modest sitting-room and i said to myself the young gentleman's fatigued with his reading and he's gone to bed with an aching head that's evident well 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 so i let myself in with my key and walked quietly into my modest sitting-room and there i saw honoria on one side of the table darning the young gentleman's socks and the young gentleman himself on the other side with a pipe in his mouth and his feet resting on the mantelpiece among my little ornaments and lustres last night you haven't lost much time in paying us a visit no sir because i thought the sooner the entire family had a meeting the better the entire so that we might all look one another in the face sir as we are now doing and put a simple question to each other a question the question ma'am what is to be done i'll answer that papa dear let me make the first suggestion sitting beside honoria oh do please let me clara beryl it is that we answer the question what is to be done taking honoria's hand by deciding to make the best of it oh my dear young lady how dare you how dare you how dare you percy percy beryl quickly takes honoria and mrs hooley apart they are joined by howard and talk together in whispers how dare she a nice couple of children i've got one marries a trollop the other the other makes the best of it i don't know what's come over her joining the others beryl the best of it the best of it ha the best of it glaring at trimble who is quietly eating lumps of sugar complacent ass 
to tremble. Well? My sweet tooth. I'm glad my misfortunes don't affect you. On the contrary, dear E.B., I was just thinking. Thinking? Not a way out of it. No, no. Of a way round it. Eh? Being a non-smoker, munching always helps me to ponder. And I was recalling a case in point. A case in point? A case in similar? Well, it was the instance of a dear friend of mine. A member of the upper house, by the by. A dear friend of mine, whose boy, having fallen in love with a common little provincial shop girl, did the wrong thing by her, and surreptitiously married her. That's similar. Appear to. It happens to the best of us. Well? Well, that girl was unencumbered by relatives. Like? Like these good people. It was hearing the widow say she's minus relations that put this old affair into my head. Taking another piece of sugar. Excuse me. But what was done? What was done? What was done? Why, my dear old friend, Lord... But I must be careful. My dear old friend hit upon a somewhat daring idea. He never revealed the circumstance of his son's clandestine marriage. What good did that? Wait. Keeping this marriage a secret, he created for the poor girl, entirely out of his imagination, a decent, if not distinguished, parentage, and a thoroughly creditable past, into which... Owing to its fictitiousness, it was naturally impossible for his friends to pry. He pretended the girl was a lady, you mean? Certainly. And he made her one. He took her to his heart, dear fellow, had her manners and her orthography duly polished, and eventually he presented to the world, as the fiancé of his son, a young person fitted in all outward essentials to adorn society. By Jove! The wedding took place at St. Peter's, Seton Square. Everybody was radiant and happy, especially the boy's father. The father! Yes, pardonably proud of having saved society from a scandal and his son from a mesalliance. But it was a fraud, a cheat, a humbug. Well, well, not everybody was benefited. Of course, I really ought not to have mentioned it, dear E.B., only the likeness between the two cases. But you wouldn't. If you had a boy who made a fool of himself, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, would you? Dear friend... I frankly own that in such a predicament I should do all a father could do to, to, to preserve his son's self-respect. Oh! It was in that parental spirit that I assisted Lord, my other dear old friend. You, 
You helped him. Yes. Taking another lump of sugar. Bapas to himself. No, no, you'd do it, but I wouldn't. After all, fair trade hasn't done so badly for me, and if it wasn't for Clara, I sometimes think I'd... I'd... Mrs. Hooley's voice rises discordantly above the others for a moment. Ah, Monty, tell me your plan again. Tell me again. End of Act One